All right, we are live, and we are here to talk to to people that have asked the question. I get this question a lot. Oh, by the way, welcome to the Biblos Network. We're glad you're here. <laughs> We're glad you joined us today. I, I wanted to talk today about some things that happened to me in my early on in my ministry, and it's something people ask me about quite frequently. They seem to have a lot of interest in it, and it was a... A very interesting time. I was very young. I learned a lot of practical ministry. And so I'm going to share some of those stories with you today, particularly with regard to door knocking. Door knocking. Um, I have spent voluminous amounts of time in the streets of cities talking to people, communicating with people, meeting people, and it has been one of the greatest experiences of my life. I think that people should experience that. They should experience the joy of getting to know people, talking to them, communicating with them. Some people need to know what it's like to feel rejection for the cause of Christ, to feel the nuance and the subtlety of their city, to feel the cry of the city. There's a lot of people that need help. And so there's a way to do that. And it was one of the most enjoyable times in my life in the spirit. It was not enjoyable all the time in the flesh. The flesh actually recoils from it because it's work. It's hard. It's demanding. It's hot or it's cold. And um, one of the things that you'll find is that the flesh will do whatever it can to get away from the the work of God, the actual labor involved in it. And that's more than just showing up and preaching. It, when you're building a church and you're, you are uh, discipling people, teaching people, and you don't have anybody in your church, then, um, you know, what do you do? A lot of people just kind of go to a coffee shop and just kind of drink coffee and hope somebody shows up they can talk to and... <laughs> or they go to different venues and try to meet people, and all that's fine. But I had people that felt like door knocking did not work, and I am here to tell you unequivocally door knocking does work. Now, it gets a bad rap in some circles because um, Jehovah's Witnesses do it a lot, Mormons do it a lot, and because of that they scare people off, and they're persistent, and they can be uh, difficult to talk to, particularly when it's not a real dialogue. They're just bent on pushing an agenda or, or a viewpoint. But real authentic dialogue, it's amazing what you can find in, in the streets of the city. So I have a lot of war stories, a lot of um, crazy things that happened and wonderful things that happened. Um, let me say this. Door knocking is a special kind of evangelism. Some people feel like they don't want to waste their time with it, but... I built a church with it. I built more than one church with it. And I would say it is an entry-level form of evangelism that lets you learn your city. And, and I know there are a lot of people that can knock on doors and that can feel like it doesn't do any good. It doesn't help them in any way. And so they, they'll try it. They'll knock on doors. They will reach as many people as they can. And what they're doing is they're inviting people to church. That's not how I did it. Initially I did, but I changed it because I realized that doesn't work. 
when you're trying to meet people, when you're trying to build a church, then and, and authentically teach and disciple people, then it, there's more. There's a stronger approach. There's a more intuitive approach. And some people say, well, I gave up on it because we tried it, we did it, and we never saw anything happen. And then some people say, well, we know that if we go out and we do the labor, God honors our labor, and maybe the person doesn't come that we met, but God will send other people because he honors the labor. Well, yeah, and I get all that, but that's not my experience. I actually met people, discipled them, won them to the Lord. They're in church today. Some of them are well-known in the church today. Their children are, their extended families are, because door knocking is a an entry-level form of evangelism. It's where you meet people. They don't know you. You don't know them. Because of that, the the contact is very tenuous. It's very um, surface. It, it's easily lost. It's flimsy. You're just a person that they met. But when you go back and you go back and you meet them and you develop a relationship and you um, actually love the person, talk to the person, they, they their faith grows, they wind up being saved and obeying the gospel, then something happens to you that that forever alters how you view ministry. And when you teach a young man that he can go into any city and start a church, you've created something powerful with that young man when they get that revelation. So where does door knocking work? Well, I found that it does not work in high-class areas wealthy areas. It doesn't work in, even in middle-class areas. People in those two socioeconomic levels, strata of society, they are classified as wealthy. They are rich. And the Bible has a lot to say about the rich. It says that they do not feel that they need the gospel. The whole have no need of a physician. Rich men, um, in the book of James, it talked about how that they draw you before the judgment seat and, and they, they treat you in a haughty and condescending manner. And I found out very quickly that that form of evangelism does not work for people who are considered wealthy by world standards. Door knocking works in what I call lower middle and upper lower class areas. I never had success in low, low class areas socioeconomic areas, um, where people were vagrants, where they had given up on life. We, we would do our best to help them, and, and we did have some success, but that was not where we got the most success from. We got the most success from people who were struggling, people who were trying to work their way through life. They were, they were authentically trying to grow, and many times they were going to college a couple classes at a time, working part-time, sometimes more than one job. They oftentimes rented a home. They couldn't afford to buy a home, lived in apartments. Um, many times they weren't married. They were living with somebody out of wedlock or um, they were single. A lot of single moms. There were some single dads. Um, so it's, it's a fragmented society that, that door knocking reaches. And interestingly, that's, that is a lot, it's a very similar dynamic that many churches start out of. You'll find that many churches start among the lowly. Immigrants, the stranger, the outcast. The Bible talks about the widow and the fatherless. Pure religion and undefiled is to, to remember them 
And so I found that when I went out, I was going to meet the people who were struggling that might have an alcohol problem, might have a drug problem. Maybe they were recently paroled. Maybe they were a single mom. Maybe they had just been divorced. Whatever life had thrown at them, they were struggling and they were hungry for the things of God. They knew they needed God. They weren't wrapped up in the trappings of wealth and the pursuit of materialism. That doesn't mean the wealthy can't or the middle class can't be saved. It means that they bite on a different approach, a different lure. Whereas one will come because they see the need and they'll respond to a person showing up at their door. A person that has accumulated more and um, achieve more, that person will largely bite on success. They're attracted to success and relationship. And they don't respond well to a, a doorway approach. So those are some of my observations. And so the gospel originally came to fishermen. It came to the lowly. It came to uh, Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven devils. The, the demoniac of Gadara, legion, cast devils out. Pigs run down into the sea and are choked. That's where Jesus started these ministries. Now, why wasn't he starting them in the beautiful palaces of the wealthy? Why wasn't he starting them in the places of grandeur that the world holds in such high regard? Why wasn't he starting them among the powerful religious elite of that day? It's because they thought they already knew. The Bible says, whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. The babes of this world, God chooses them. And many times that's the seedbed for starting a church. So if you're a young man, you're a young lady, you want to learn how to learn ministry and get into ministry, one of the greatest places you can go is go to a troubled area where they need God and get a Bible study. I used a little survey that I would take with a clipboard and I would map the responses that I got and I called it faith mapping. I would map the faith areas of my city and after a few years of doing that and go over and going over regions, I knew the pockets of faith. I can go there today and I know where the pockets of faith are in, in the cities that I started churches in. Um, so that's kind of a intro to door knocking evangelism. So I had this guy, he's a friend of mine. I haven't seen him in years, but he was a, an evangelist and he came to preach for me. Now we were a small church. We probably had 50 people, 75 people in church. And he said, so Nathan, what are you doing? What are you doing for evangelism? How do you reach people? I said, well, I go out and I go door knocking and, and, um, I meet people and I teach them Bible studies. And he went, that didn't work. I said, what do you mean? He said, we've tried all that. We went door knocking. We knocked and knocked and knocked and met people, invited people. It never works. He said, matter of fact, in most areas of my city, you can't knock on their door. They're gated communities. They, they don't want you coming to their door. And I understand that in, in, in areas where they're more affluent, they don't want that. And they are pursuing things and you know, we can talk about the philosophy of that and if that's a good thing or not, but I understand people wanting to be safe. I understand people not wanting to be inconvenienced, but that also tells me you're knocking in the wrong area. I never wasted my time to go to those areas. I went to the lowly. I went to Galilee. I went to Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's what 
one, I think it was Nathaniel, um, said of, of Jesus. And so Jesus starts at this lowly place and begins his ministry there. So I like to go to the Galilee or the Nazareth of my cities. And, and there you're going to find need. You're going to find the Mary Magdalene. You're going to find the people who are struggling in life. And so I said, you know what? Come with me. Let me show you what I do. He's like, all right, I want to see this. So we went out. We knocked on doors. We probably knocked on doors for maybe three hours. And I had my little clipboard. I had my little surveys. And I was talking to people about God. And I started getting Bible studies. People began to agree. I'd go through my questions. And then I'd ask them if they would like to study the Bible with me. And and they did. People are hungry for the Bible. They just don't want to be hollered at and dominated and they can't get rid of you when they got to go somewhere because you're you're not uh, respectful of their time and their energy. And so they're thinking, man, if I ever let this person in, I'm never going to get rid of them. And that, that's how a lot of people do. They're very abusive in how they approach that, a misguided zeal for God. So, But when you're respectful and you love people and you're just there to help them, people can begin to um, sense that in you. So I got a couple Bible studies, and I talked to some people that day, and it was like one of the last doors we knocked on. A young lady answered the door, and she said, yes, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm Nathan Urshan. I'm here from the Rock Church of Fort Myers. That was the name of the church in Fort Myers. And I said, I'm here to do a survey. Can I, can I have a moment of your time? I'd like to 60 seconds of your time. And she said, yes. She said, you know what? are you here to talk to me about church? And I said, yes. And she started crying. Big tears welled up in her eyes right there on her, on her doorstep. And I, I thought, oh man, I, did I do something? I, is, am I, I hope I didn't startle her. She said, you, you don't understand. I'm going through such a hard time in my life right now. I need God right now. And she said, I was just praying this morning, God, please send me somebody to tell me what you want me to do. And you knocked on my door about an hour later. I could feel the Holy Ghost moving right there. And the evangelist that was with me was bug-eyed. He was watching. He couldn't believe this was happening. And I learned that when God moves like that, I learned this years ago in ministry, you grab the moment. It's time to minister. This is what God called you to do. And so... I looked at her and I said, can I pray for you right now? Would you let me do that? She said, please. I reached into the doorway. I laid hands on her forehead and I prayed for her in Jesus' name. Her hands flew up and she got the Holy Ghost right there, speaking with other tongues in her doorway. I wasn't three minutes and God had filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I, I was stunned. I had never had that happen before that dramatically. I had had miraculous things happen, but nothing quite this dramatic. And all of this is in the context of this evangelist saying, that doesn't work. I've tried that. That never works. (laughs) The girl gets the Holy Ghost. We get her contact information. We set up a Bible study with her. Wound up coming back, baptizing her in the name of Jesus. And she she served the Lord after that. Um, When we got done, we walked away. The evangelist began to weep. And he said, I need to repent He said, not only does this work, this is the book of Acts. He said, I never would have come to this neighborhood. This is a poor area. 
I asked him, where do you think Jesus went? Do you think he went up into the, the mighty and the powerful? The scripture says, how hardly shall a rich man enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of people that are dealing with, by world standards, rich men and rich women who don't have the time of day for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it was a dramatic moment. It lit a fire in my life. It lit a fire in his life. And I think we had three families come to church from just that day. It was like God was saying, I'm going to show this guy that this does work. And if you'll be sincere and if you'll trust in God, then, then I'll make a way. And he did. So, man, I will never, never forget that. Now, they weren't always that dramatic. There are, there are other stories. Um, I, I can remember I was so young. I was 22 years old. When this was happening, I didn't have anybody in my church, so I had nothing else better to do with my time. I prayed. I sought the face of God. We had a little church building that we were renting. We were ministering to people and talking to people, witnessing. And many, many services, nobody came. It was just us, me and my wife and my youngest son, Joseph. And we had an old Kiwanis Club down on the corner of 2nd Street and Woodford Avenue, downtown Fort Myers. It's not too far from where Pastor... Randy Williams' church is at now over on Tarpon Court, not too far from the Caloosahatchee River. But we'd go to that little Kiwanis club, and we would pray, and nobody would come. And so, you know, we were just trying to get started. We were, we were brand new, and there was no church in that particular area. You know, it was not always uh, such a dramatic and miraculous um, turnout. There's been times where God did amazing things and we were so excited. There were other times where I was, you know, I was young, I was inexperienced and it was quite a learning curve for me. I was 22, 23 years of age. Um, and I really heavily knocked doors up until I was 27, 28 years old. I would knock doors four or five hours a day, sometimes eight hours a day. I met a ton of people and it was Looking back on it, it was not simple, but it was a wonderfully fulfilling time. I learned to talk to people. I learned to love people and to spend time with them. But another thing that I learned was to get past the frivolity of ministry. I got to where I did not enjoy playing games with ministry and doing ministry in a status quo Manner. I couldn't just go to a conference and network and meet people and try to get name exposure and, and talk to successful preachers and, and just connect with them. That was not how I did ministry. I, I did ministry walking the streets, and, and I made a lot of mistakes. I can remember one day I knocked on a young man's door. He probably would have been in his early 20s like me, maybe mid-20s, and he rented the home there, and... um he agreed. He said, I, I want a Bible study. I need to learn about God. So yeah, let's, let's next Tuesday, you come by here and I'll be here one o'clock and, and we'll, we'll meet up and we'll have a Bible study. I said, okay, I look forward to it. And so what, what happens is when that initial moment, that God moment where they felt the touch of God, where the questions were burning in their heart, when that moment passes, a lot of times they think, oh, what did I do? Who is this guy? Ah, and the moment the moment wears off. That happens often. And so you have to go back and reestablish that. So I wouldn't call them again. I learned that. 
I would go back and I would talk to them and, and communicate with them and reestablish uh, some rapport. So I show up, 1 o'clock, and nobody's there. I knock on the door, nobody answers. And, and as I'm standing there, I notice the blinds kind of move a little bit. <laughs> and I realize he's right there. And he regrets having set this up, and now it's awkward for him. He's going to act like he's not home. So I knew he was there, so I knocked on the door a few times, and finally I thought, okay, he's, he's maybe had second thoughts. So I left. Well, I came back again the next week, and he wasn't there. I came back again the next week, and he wasn't there. And I, I, and then I would come back and I would meet him again. I did knock and he, he, he would be outside working and I'd meet him. He'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're that guy that, oh, I'm sorry I wasn't here. And it seems we've been having a tough time catching up. Yeah, yeah, we've been having a tough time, right. And so well, oh, next week, next week, let, meet me here and, I, and I'll be here. One o'clock. Okay, I'll be here. Well, that next week, I'll never forget. And don't, I'm not recommending you do this. I was young. I was crazy that I, they were going to get saved whether they liked it or not. <laughs> and I come pulling down the road, had a Chevy Suburban. I come pulling down the road and he is pulling in, in his car. He's pulling forward into his driveway and he sees me and he knows I don't want to talk to that guy. So his friend was driving and his friend's pulling in. I see him. He sees me. Our eyes lock. We make eye contact. Recognition flares. He knew who I was. I knew who he was. And I, I promise you, I kid you not, when he realized it, he whoop, he slumped down in his seat <laughs> like, like I wasn't going to see him. And his friend gunned the engine and took off the other direction like, let's get out of here. I don't want to talk to this guy about the Bible. Now, normal people would say, Oh, he doesn't want to communicate and he just feels awkward. And so he's trying to avoid a Bible study. Not me. I was the uh, Captain Insano uh, Bible study teacher that had nothing else better to do with my time. So I I literally said, oh, no, you don't. You're going to get a Bible study. So I slam the truck in reverse. I pull in. I do a three-point turn and I chase him. We. I mean, it's like you know, bad guys and good guys, and I'm chasing him, and he's running through the neighborhoods, and it took about two or three blocks, and I went, Nathan, what are you doing? <laughs> this is not how you effectively minister the gospel to somebody. <laughs> and so I I stopped, and I quit chasing him. And crazy, who does that? But me. I was 23 years old, and, and I was very zealous about Bible studies. Fortunately, I I learned body language. I learned um, how, how to kind of work through people's circumstances and their conditions. And I could tell when they were genuine, genuine and genuinely hungry and when they weren't, when they were playing games. So, But I'll never forget the day he slumped down in his seat and I took off after him. It was one of the funniest moments. Looking back on it, it was funny. He probably laughs with his friends now about it too. That crazy preacher trying to come in and preach to me. So yeah, you, you, you have some, some pretty amazing experiences. Um, I can actually remember in those early days some, some astounding moments. I, I can remember the, the craziest moments where I baptize people. Um, 
my first baptism, the guy's name was Chris. Chris had a crack cocaine addiction, and I had him in Bible study, and, and he was one of the only ones who would listen to me. The people I was interacting with were the only ones that would take the time, and I would go every week, and I would preach to them and teach them. And um, Chris saw his need to be baptized. He repented of his sins. He, he was making an effort to walk away from drugs and illicitness and all manner of sin in his life, and he wanted to get baptized. And I was excited. Let's do it. Let's, this is Book of Acts, man. The deal was I was too poor to have a baptismal tank, and I was basically doing this with the support of family and, and loved ones and, and my little savings, and so we didn't have a place to baptize per se, and so I needed to find a place. Well, as I thought about it, I thought, man, I live here on the Gulf of Mexico, right here in Fort Myers and by Sanibel and Captiva, and so there's a little place right there by the, by the overpass over into Sanibel Island from South Fort Myers where you can park your car and kind of get off and go out in the water. And so um, Chris and I get in the car and we drive down there. And, you know, the Bible says, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And I thought, well, here we go. There's no more water than right here. So we put on some, some clothes that we can get messy in and we go wading out into the Gulf of Mexico. Now, I'm from Indiana. I am from um, a little town called Kokomo, Indiana, a very special place. All I knew about water was ponds and lakes and rivers and reservoirs. I didn't know what the ocean was really all about. I just knew there were waves, it was salty, and there were shells. That's about the extent of my oceanic context. And so I didn't know what a tide was. You don't have tides in ponds or lakes, so apparently it was low tide. I didn't know what that meant. What that means is the water goes out into the the bay, and then later on at high tide, it'll come back in. So we go walking out there, and, and the water's very shallow. It's like at our ankles. And we walk and walk and walk, and it's not getting any higher. It's like just a little bit above our calves. And we were walking and walking, and we walked so far that, I don't know, it was a quarter mile, and it wasn't even barely to our knees. And I thought, man, this is crazy. And what's funny, I remember a fisherman yelling something at us and couldn't quite tell what he was saying. I said, what did he say? And Chris said, he said, shuffle your feet. Why? Why, why would I do that? And he said, because stingrays. There's stingrays out here, and if you step on a stingray, they will sting you and hurt you. So shuffle your feet and that'll startle them. And they'll, <laughs> this Indiana boy had never heard anything about that. So we start doing the stingray shuffle out into the Gulf of Mexico by Sanibel. Well, finally we were so far, the people on the shore were tiny looking. And so we said, I said, you know what? This is good enough. You, you can hear, you can sit down and I can fully submerge you here. The Bible says to be fully submerged in Jesus name. You're going to be buried with Christ. And so this is my first baptism. I was so excited. I was, I was so happy. Chris was happy. And so the water was, I tell you, it was shallow. It was shallow and it barely covered his lap. So we were going to, we were just working with a little bit of shallow water. And I knelt down next to him and I took him and I said, Chris, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of all of your sins. And I took Chris backwards under the water and he went under the water except for his nose. Chris had a big nose. 
a big nose and his nose stuck out of the water. And he comes up out of the water spluttering and splashing and, and he says, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I, that's not right. You can't do that. Chris, you can't. And I, he's looking at my face. He said, what? You okay? And I said, I got bad news, buddy. Um, we got to do it again. And he said, well, why? Well, we got to do it again. I just went under the water. I'm baptized. And I said, well, the Bible says you got to be buried with Jesus Christ. And uh, you got to be fully submerged in Jesus' name. And so we got to do it again because your nose didn't go under. He said, you, you got to do that? Really? And I didn't know what to tell him. I was always taught full submersion. That is what the Bible says. We are buried with him. And so I just said the first thing that popped into my head, I said, well, do you want your nose to go to hell? <laughs> do you want, do you want to go, your body go to heaven and your nose to go to hell? You can't have that, Chris. You got to get rebaptized. And so Chris says, okay. And I said, turn your head sideways. <laughs> so he turned his head sideways and I shoved him down in the sand and we got him all the way under. And we got him baptized. We got the job done. So that was crazy. Good times, wonderful times, but crazy times. Um, and that's probably not my craziest baptism story, though. The One of the craziest is I had a man who was probably a little more well-off financially, and he said, he said, Pastor Urshan, I'm so excited about these Bible studies. He said, my wife and I have decided we want to get baptized. I was like, that's great. That's great. You know, you want to come by the church? You want to, you know, you know, we can do it. Because by that time, our church had grown. We had a baptismal tank. And he said, no, I don't want to do that. He said, would you be willing to go out on our yacht with us and have lunch, have Bible study, and then we will get baptized in the Gulf of Mexico? And I said, are you kidding me? That would be awesome. Wow, let's do it. So we, we go out. I go to his house. He had this big old boat, really big boat, huge boat, big, big as a house, modern boat, three stories tall. We got up in the, I don't know what they call it, the tuna tower or whatever they call that thing. And um, we had lunch, this amazing, um, I think they call it a seafood paella, clams and shrimp and all kind of stuff. And rice. We had this great lunch. We're talking. We have Bible study. We prayed. The Holy Ghost was there, right? And we we had gone twenty miles out into the Gulf. You couldn't see. You couldn't see anybody. You couldn't see the shore. I mean, we were out there. And so, as we're out there, he looks at me and he says, "All right, I think we're ready." And so he starts going in circles, just going in circles, going in circles. And I said, "Hey, man, what are you doing?" He said, "I'm scaring off any sharks that might be here." I'm creating turbulence and creating a lot of noise and commotion. We don't want any sharks. And I thought, no, we sure don't. We don't want any sharks in our baptisms. And finally, I guess we'd scared off all the sharks or whatever. And he and his wife jumped overboard. They just hopped right in off of the back of the boat. There's these ladders that extend down for divers and scuba divers and whatnot. And they just climbed right down in the water. And I got down on the little deck there that you can, you can get right by the water. Here they are bobbing in the water. You know, these little heads are sticking out of the water. And I'm just like, man, this is the weirdest baptism I've ever been a part of. And we prayed 
And I said, all right, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of all of your sins. Boop. <laughs> and just pushed them right down underneath the water. And and they were baptized. That was that was a trip, man. That that probably is one of the, the more memorable moments of my ministry, my early ministry in in South Florida. So good times, the the the, the things that you will run into and you will encounter when you step out into evangelism and direct evangelism, door knocking, Bible studies, preaching the gospel to people. You will not, you will not die of boredom. You certainly will not die of boredom. Um, so those are just some of the stories that I have. I've got more. When I have a little more time, maybe I can share them with you. But door knocking is a very special kind of ministry. It's an entry-level ministry, an initial ministry that once you meet a family and you effectively minister to them, they realize that you have the gospel and, and they trust you and want to learn more about God. Then you network through that family and you talk to them and you you meet their relatives, precious people that are still dear friends today um, that, that mean a lot to me. And we've had great relationships over the years and God's done great things in their life. So that's kind of a little take on door knocking and some crazy stories that, that were part of the early days. I hope it helps you guys. I hope you go out and talk to people about God. Get into your city. Go to the areas that um, might be a little more challenged, might have some more difficulty where people need God, and you'll find out they're open to the gospel. I look forward to talking to you next time. God bless you.